You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. You are listening to MSE. I'm Bill Powers, your host. Thanks for tuning in. In today's show, you're going to get our quarterly check-in from Dr. Rob Stevens of MiningEssentials.com. He has his book, Mineral Exploration and Mining Essentials. It's the number one book I recommend for newer mining investors when you're starting wanting to get a grasp of uh, what an explorer is versus a developer versus a pre-production and the whole mining life cycle and the basics of geology, you should pick up that book. It's about $100 or so, but if you're going to deploy any amount of money in this sector, that's the one you want to have. It has great visuals as well. There's other great books out there too that don't have quite the level of visuals that uh, Dr. Rob gives you in that book. So welcome back onto the show, uh, Dr. Rob. You're going to talk to us today about critical minerals, and I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, great. Thanks, uh, Bill, and uh, uh, thanks for the comments about the book. Uh, always been a, a passion of mine and uh, really enjoy uh, teaching and, and, and developing that. So I uh, uh, hope uh, your readers do have a chance to pick it up. So yeah, today I thought we would talk about uh, critical minerals uh, there is a lot of talk about critical minerals uh, out there in the mining world these days, so uh, I thought I would step through that a little bit um, and um, talk about what what they are and, and maybe what some of those opportunities are and, and some of the things that your listeners uh, could think about with regard to critical minerals. So uh, I'm going to first just uh, give an overview of what critical minerals are, current market trends, we'll look at some data and see where things are at. Uh, and then some investment considerations for uh, people to think about. <clears throat> so starting off with what are critical minerals or metals? And I mean, this is maybe a little bit of a technical thing, but I would want to clarify that the term critical minerals is what's broadly used, but in reality, they are mostly metals. Uh, when we look at them, lithium, cobalt, copper, those are actually chemical elements and they're metals. So critical minerals is a bit of a misnomer. Um, I would probably prefer to call them critical mineral metals, but uh, uh, there we are, but maybe just a, a point of clarity there. So there's several criteria that define what people are referring to as criticality. Um, and maybe the first really would be uh, critical minerals. They're important or critical to modern society. Um, and that's probably the overriding uh, uh, definition of them. Uh, but there's some key points, um, demand and supply risks. So that's partly what defines uh, a critical mineral. Are there supply limitations due to lack of production or concentrated production uh, or processing in only certain uh, countries? Um, some of these critical elements may be byproducts or minor elements that are not commonly found uh, as the primary product in many deposits. <clears throat> so there's some limitations to them that way. Processing capacity. Uh, this is probably one that sort of moved critical minerals forward more than anything else is it can be highly concentrated in a few countries and in particular concerns around concentrations in China. Uh, and we need in, uh, increases in exploration and production in some of these metals because people haven't really been paying a lot of attention to them until uh, just recently. Another part of it is the uses and applications, and probably the primary, primary one there is it's for uses in the transition to a low-carbon economy. 
that is really, I think, what's kind of uh, moved critical minerals to the forefront is this transition from hydrocarbon-powered uh, energy to electrical energy and, and a variety of different sources of energy needs a lot of different metals and minerals. So batteries, electric transmission, and a variety of technologies. Critical minerals also varies according to location, i.e. the country, and at any given time. So for example, if, um, if significant production started to develop over the years, what is critical now may not be so critical, uh, you know, if we have the supply coming on. And it does vary by, by location because a lot of this is about um, uh, 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 trading routes, uh, supply chains. I think one thing that really came out of the pandemic was concerns about secure supply chains. Uh, and so that's part of it. Where is it being produced? Uh, and what are the networks of partner countries uh, and agreements where those metals may be able to uh, move to? So uh, it varies from one country to the next. A couple of other terms that people will hear, strategic minerals. Uh, generally, that's a term that uh, tends to have a military connotation. Uh, and then battery minerals, uh, it's those metals really that are needed for energy storage, things like lithium, cobalt, nickel, uh, and graphite. Uh, so there's a bunch of aspects to this uh, critical minerals uh, story, but uh, these are some of the key ones that that uh, uh, that define it. Um, just as a couple of examples, this is Canada's critical mineral and metal list. Uh, there's actually 31 metals on this list, but some are more quote critical than others. Uh, and you know, we sometimes laugh a little bit as this list contains just about everything. Uh, except for gold. <laughs> uh, so it, it's cast pretty wide, but what I've highlighted here in um, yellow are some of those elements that are of more uh, concern uh, currently, uh, particularly in that uh, transition to a low carbon uh, economy. Uh, this is another one uh, from the visual capitalist uh, from, from last fall. Uh, and it highlights the uh, critical minerals lists in the EU, in China, and the US. Um, and each country comes up with their own list um, according to their industrial requirements, military needs, um, and strategic evaluations of supply risks. Um, but when you look in the middle here of the bunch of them, of all three countries, again, you see things like copper, nickel, rare earths, lithium, graphite, cobalt, so those ones on a global basis are really uh, of need. Uh, I was interested to see here that gold is considered a critical uh, mineral in China. Um, you know, maybe there's not enough production of that because uh, it, it isn't on Canada's list or, or I think on, on many other countries' lists. So it does vary by country to country depending on their own internal needs. Okay, so taking a look at uh, some metal price trends here, and I am just uh, chose four of these kind of uh, primary uh, metals, uh, battery metals really, uh, and these are five-year charts. Uh, and I guess what I would say if we look at nickel, lithium, and cobalt, uh, all three of them have a fairly similar uh, chart, particularly lithium and cobalt, uh, in that they ran up in um, you know early 2022 and they have subsequently taken a significant drop down to where we are now in January uh, 2024. Um, 
And, you know, so that's, that's a trend to really keep your eye on. It's not uncommon for commodities and metals for sure that when they run up, they, they tend to run back down. Um, and, and maybe, uh, I think that run up in metal prices was maybe getting a little bit ahead of itself. Um, but always when you, when you have commodities that become this, you know, a hot topic, uh, that's, this is an issue you got to watch out for when, when they rush up and, um, of course, try to avoid getting in at the top, wherever that top may be. Copper here at the bottom right chart, uh, is holding up a little bit stronger. It had a similar rush up, uh, and a pull down. Uh, but it is holding a little bit stronger and i do think that copper uh, of the bunch of them will remain a strong commodity uh, going forward um, i wanted to just highlight uh, the iea.org it's the international energy agency uh, they uh, were actually an early group that put out some good reports on critical minerals and uh, what's needed for transition to a low carbon economy Here's their critical minerals review from 2023. I would encourage your readers who are interested in this topic and really want to dig a bit deeper, uh, take a look at uh, at this publication on their website. They have the data available for free if one wants to really dig deep. And a few of the charts that I'm uh, going to show here uh, come from this publication. So it's a good source of information. Uh, with that being said, this first bit of data here comes from S&P Global uh, Market Intelligence. Uh, but uh, we are seeing some, uh, so these are mineral exploration expenditures uh, from 2010 to 2023 on a global basis. Uh, and what we are seeing is some increase in expiration on these uh, um, critical minerals. So I want to just highlight the one in green here, battery metals. And if we look at 20, uh, 2023, uh, we look at that green um, uh, color here uh, near the top of the bar uh, and you look towards the earlier years, you can see there has been now a fairly steady increase in expiration for those metals. Uh, uranium, I think as well, although uranium's come and gone a little bit. Um, uh, so we are seeing it, but you know, a little bit, not, not a ton, but a little bit is starting to increase. I think that's going to be a trend in the coming years as there will be more and more expenditures, uh, expiration expenditures on these commodities. So uh, just some specifics, lithium was up 20% in 2023, increases in copper, nickel, and uranium. And, you know, without a lot of new money coming in, uh, something's going to have to go. And, and, and what we have seen is some de decrease in gold. Gold is such a huge uh, amount of about 50% uh, plus or minus uh, of expiration is towards gold. So it's not surprising it would be the one to, to take a bit of a decrease. Uh, so this comes from the IEA. Uh, this so increasing capital expenditures, um, and uh, you know if we take a look here, uh, let's say lithium specialists in particular, just focusing on the green one at the top, uh, we can see now some increasing capital expenditures towards lithium. Uh, I would also say towards cobalt, copper, and nickel. So uh, responses are happening. Uh, the reason I focus on capital, of course, because that's the development uh, expenditures now to put put these into production and start providing some supply. Uh, venture capital investments. Uh, this is one that shows a significant increase. And, and I want to note here that uh, all I have is Q1 2023, not the whole year. Uh, so don't take that as it suddenly went down in 2023. We're just looking at the first uh, quarter. Uh, but as you can see, um, I mean, these are battery um you know, venture capital investment. So not just in mining, battery use, recycling, 
uh, but a lot of extraction and refining uh, as well. And we are seeing some big increases in money going into that sector. So supply demand scenarios, I think this is one that's really driving uh, the, the the critical mineral story is uh, a real increase in demand for things like electric vehicles, um, for solar power, for wind power, et cetera, uh, without the associated supply to meet that demand. Um, but um, if I look at some of these and just, <clears throat> I know there's a lot of bars on this chart here. So uh, we've got four different elements here, copper, lithium, nickel, and cobalt. Uh, the left bar is the 2022 production. So that's kind of, let's say, where we are right now. Uh, then we've got anticipated supply uh, at 2030. Then we've got the APS, which is the announced pledges scenario. And then finally, the last one is the net zero emissions by 2050. So maybe if I just start with that one, the net zero emissions by 2050. If you look at that scenario, um, we are short on supply and everything. I think the only caveat I would say is that are we going to get to net zero by 2050? Um, I think it's going to take longer than that. I think that's an aspirational target and we should continue to move towards that. But uh, I don't think that's going to be a realistic target. So um, I don't think lack of supply to meet that target uh, is a real scenario, and we're going to need to follow this. I mean, 2050 is a ways off, so we're going to have to see where we get. What I'm interested in is this anticipated supply uh, and what's needed for the pledges, so the two middle bars here. So we're a little short on copper, a little short on lithium, a little short on nic nickel, and may have already enough cobalt. So I just say that to, to, to say that, you know, yes, we are short on supply, um, but, you know, the mining industry is full of entrepreneurs. When an opportunity presents itself, individuals and companies get in there to fill those gaps. And I think that that's going to be an increasing story. I think if we look at a similar chart next year and over the years, we're going to see that supply-demand scenario uh, tighten. I particularly think that's going to be the case with, uh, with lithium. So one of the real challenges with critical minerals that comes up is the the issue of concentration in production and processing. This goes back to supply chains, making sure North America, for example, or Europe is able to get the uh, the minerals that it needs. So on the left here is the concentration of mining, so the actual production. <clears throat> and I'll just point a couple out graphite here uh, with China having the 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 bulk of the production, likewise in rare earths, uh, lithium with Australia and Chile being the two main, uh, the dominant players there, uh, cobalt uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and nickel uh, with Indonesia and the Philippines. So there's some real concentration in some of those key elements, and this is part of it to widen that out and, and to, to have production occurring uh, a lot of, uh, in many more countries. Processing, even more so. Uh, and really the dominant player here is China. Uh, and so they have the processing control of a lot of these elements, uh, which means they can control the market and the supply. And, you know, that can be a real issue uh, for jurisdictions such as, as North America. And I wanted to mention uranium. Uh, this is a real energy transition play. Uh, this is a chart here from about two days ago. Um, and I wanted, it's a 25 year chart 
and I wanted to do 25 years rather than a smaller time frame so that everybody could see this rush up here that happened in 2007 and 2008. Uh, and it and it looks surprisingly similar to what's starting to happen right now uh, with this big rush up happening in uh, in uranium. Uh, I'm you know a big believer in uranium, but a lot of people don't like it. There's a lot of concern about it. I think it's going to have to be a key player in the low carbon transition. Um, and you know I understand there are supply crunches even right now because of lack of expiration for it. Uh, but I'm always cautious about things that run up uh, really quickly. Um, mostly what goes up tends to come down that's for sure all right so what are some investment uh considerations in the critical mineral world what are some of the things that you really should be sort of thinking through so uh, critical minerals are generating significant and i would say broad-based interest uh you know i've heard uh, some data for example that canadians generally are feeling much more positive about mining than they were a number of years ago because of uh, them seeing the importance of these metals and minerals to, you know, the things that we use all the time. I'm hoping that that's going to increase the investor base in mining, which would be good. Uh, means, you know, broader investment, more liquidity, that kind of thing. It's been a bit of a challenge in the industry. Uh, we'll see, <laughs> but hopefully that's the case. There are many different metals and minerals to invest in. So critical minerals is not just one play. It's a lot of individual ones. There are great new opportunities. But I think emerging and developing markets, some of which can be very small, so we're not talking about a lot of tons of product, uh, can be difficult difficult to access. Uh, assess, sorry. So, for example, price price transparency uh, that's improving for some of these metals. Uh, Going to be traded in more transparent market, but it, it is a little bit of a challenge uh, right now. I would say just as a caution, uh, despite the hype, supply may well meet demand for some of the most talked about critical minerals. Uh, such as lithium. Uh, to me, lithium, uh, geologically, there are a lot of different lithium uh, deposits. Uh, we know where a lot of lithium is. Uh, I mean, I think if you took out a global resource right now, we would have a lot of lithium. Now, can you all put that into production? Um, that's obviously a different story, but I do feel that there's quite a bit there. There are obviously going to be opportunities in lithium, but um, it is also a case where only some deposits are really going to work out. Uh, uranium is on a tear, but caution when prices go up so quickly. And I think copper is going to remain strong. Uh, demand is high. Uh, geological resources are well known. And by that, I mean, I, I don't think there's there's not going to be a lot of hidden, hidden giants in there. There's been so much work for exploration for copper. Yes, there will be some new giant discoveries, but I think mostly we're going to be... Uh, building on what we know uh, and developing deposits that need a higher price, you know, to go into production. Um, that's not the case with some of the other metals, which have not had the same level of expiration. So there could be some giants out there that are hidden that we just don't know about uh, right now. The other thing with copper is it's got limited substitution with other metals uh, and quite a bit of diverse usage. So, so I'm uh, certainly feel copper is a good one. I thought this was one I started thinking about, and I was reading uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, put out a publication, Mine 2023, the era of reinvention. So it's kind of a review of, of mining. They put one out every year. Uh, and they had some, some data and some quotes in there that I really liked. And so here's a quote uh, I think is an important uh, consideration for critical minerals. 
So the quote is, one shift that demands a response is the emergence of an important new player on the critical minerals market, government. After seeing rapid demand growth and risky levels of supply chain concentration, governments have formed alliances, instituted new policies, and mobilized funding to secure access to critical minerals. So that's a whole other player now uh, that is not quite free market sort of player, but which is really playing in the in the market and can have a big influence on that. So an inflow of public funds, um, and we're seeing that in Canada and in other jurisdictions. Uh, so that changes some economic scenarios. If you're able to get public funds to help support your development, for example, uh, that could make that development economic where it would not be uh, potentially otherwise or not as economic. Um, increased competition, governments uh, and some industries are really wanting certain commodities and they're willing to pay for it. Um, and it's developing new supply chain routes uh, so that countries like Canada and the US can uh, have secure supply with their partner uh, countries. And there's incentives, tax incentives, financial incentives, but there's also interventions where uh, countries are restricting uh, where uh, products produced in the country can go to, uh, or uh, what kind of a product, you know, where products can be imported into the country, uh, you know, depending on where they're produced. So that may take some deposits, depending on where they're located, um, could put some restrictions on them uh, from a free market uh, perspective. So just a couple of examples that uh, I wanted to uh, mention. So uh, it, you know, in Canada, uh, in terms of the incentives to explore and deve develop national product uh, projects, sorry, uh, Canada has what's called a critical minerals exploration tax credit. Uh, that is a real bonus. Uh, you have to be a Canadian taxpayer to benefit by it, but um, uh, that is really increasing exploration for critical minerals in Canada. There are also new incentives and tax breaks that have been put in place to provide funding to help to develop and build new critical mines. There's also restrictions on export and investment in Canadian-based critical minerals companies. So, you know, if you're looking for global investment, uh, certainly from some countries, and you're based in Canada, you may not be able to get that investment if your project is based in Canada. So that's that's creating a negative, in a sense, on the on the ability for that uh, deposit to be developed. On the other hand, if you have a deposit in Canada. Uh, there are government dollars that are going to help you to uh, to move that project forward. And in the U.S., the U.S. Uh, Inflation Reduction Act, and I'll just take another quote from the PricewaterhouseCoopers report, uh, the IRA, as it's called, uh, presents vast opportunities for big mining companies. Though miners can't physically move their mines to the U.S., they can make changes to their operating processes, investment plans, offtake arrangements, processing routes, and workforces to capitalize on it. So, these are all new sort of angles uh, that come in from a government point of view. So to get to the investment considerations, um, so look for and anticipate more direct deals with car and battery manufacturers and possibly governments in specific critical mineral assets. Uh, so I didn't maybe highlight that so much, but what you are seeing are, are car manufacturers, uh, battery manufacturers and others making direct deals with mining companies investing in projects uh, maybe even some of them may want to become miners which probably isn't a great idea for them because that's not their their strength 
Uh, but uh, I would look for those. If you hear companies talking about it, I mean, those could be opportunities. Uh, it's like the old scenario where a junior made a deal with a major and that moved their stock up and, and propelled them because they've got that big investment behind them. Uh, so something to really look at. Consider where projects are located, uh, associate, uh, associated supply chain advantages, government incentives. Uh, those can help uh, change the economics of a project. Um, I think from when we think about the majors, so look for diversified miners, those uh, that have one or more uh, that have or are moving into the critical mineral space, such as copper or lithium. I like the idea of uh, a company that you know combines the enduring strength of gold with new opportunities and high demand commodities. So uh, you know they're they're diversifying themselves a little bit more into those commodities that are that are that are needed. Uh, and for juniors, uh, you know, these aren't all specific to the critical mineral space, but, uh, uh, you know, some specific things to think about. So track commodity trends and consider those price trends. Just watch for the quick up and the quick down. Um, you know, arguably we could be in not a bad position for some of those now because they have come down, uh, but maybe the going up was never realistic and where they are now is where they should be. So that, I mean... <laughs> Understanding future metal prices is never easy, but uh, you should consider that in your investments. Location, and then as I say, location, 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 that always applies, uh, but I've sort of talked about the benefits of certain locations uh, and possibly detriments to others. So really think where that deposit uh, or projects are located. Uh, follow updated uh, supply demand projections. Um, you know, if you're buying into any one of the metals, lithium or any of them, because of uh, uh, a feeling that we are so behind the supply that you know only it can only go up, it's amazing how quickly the mining industry is able to move in and address those gaps. So just keep following that is what I would say. The uh, IEA puts out regular data. Um, so, so you're making an informed decision about what are the current projections for supply and demand. Uh, I said, assess the cost, cost curve for a project. I mean, that's easier said than done. Uh, uh, you know, probably if you're following lithium, if you heard stories of lithium miner in Australia, cutting back, that's too costly. Uh, prices come down. So that concerns me with some of the hard rock lithium miners is that those projects may be on the high end of the cost curve and may not be so viable whereas the brine producers and those things that are lower on the cost curve uh, will be more viable so think about that a little bit uh, and then consider you know what a project might bring to a government and down downstream manufacturers um, you know if there's uh, uh, if it's located in a country such as canada us australia and others that are putting these uh, investments and and uh, benefits in uh, you know that's an upside and is there something within that project that downstream manufacturers are going to be interested in? Um, because that uh, those kind of deals can bring money in to, to, to move the project forward. And, uh, and so there's an opportunity there. So there we are, uh, Bill. Uh, there's my uh, uh, overview of how I see critical minerals at the moment and, and some of the opportunities and, and things to think about. Uh, just to wrap up again, uh, my book uh, is primarily available on Amazon, uh, either amazon.com, .ca, or .au uh, in Canada and Australia, and .com in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, I also have uh, some short courses available for those who want to dig a little bit deeper. 
Um, and if you go to miningcourses.thinkific.com, I think if you just search mining essentials on the web, they'll pop up pretty quickly. Uh, and uh, there are some uh, some short courses uh, that you can take there if you want to learn a little bit more about the, the mining life cycle. So, yeah, there we are, Bill. Thank you, Dr. Rob. A uh, quick question before you go. When it sure. comes to focusing on a, a given commodity, I was advised by my broker, stay away from rare earths because he said in all his decades of experience, the only people that made money on rare earths were the promoters is what he told me. And <laughs> he, he said that that sector... Um, requires the greater fool theory to where you better be buying before a promotion and sell to the people who buy because of the promotion. And then when you get into other markets like vanadium, I remember researching that before vanadium went on a run. But one of the frustrations, especially as a new resource investor was, where do I even track the price? You know? Right. So what are your thoughts on some of that where you get into the, it's not gold, it's not copper, it's not uranium, it's not nickel, these huge markets, but these smaller, more niche metals, uh, how should a retail investor approach that? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you have to take some caution. You have to do more research on it. And there's a lot more uncertainties. I mean, the metal price trans, uh, transparency is a challenge. Uh, now, some of them, uh, uh, lithium and I believe cobalt and others are becoming, you know, moving into uh, public trading platforms. So there will be greater transparency to those prices. Uh, you know, uh, the other challenge with things like rare earths and vanadium that have relatively small markets, you know, compared to nickel and copper, for example, uh, you can get greater price uh, fluctuations. Uh, and so even with transparency, we may see those, those ups and downs. Um, you know, and I think with rare earths to me, uh, the, you know, those are unique deposits. There's not a lot of them. They have a lot of processing challenges to them. Uh, getting the rock out is one thing, but then eventually processing that material to extract the rare earths requires specialized, uh, processes, um, and deals with, you know, companies that can do that. Uh, so, you know, it is a more challenging market for sure. I mean, I think there can be some great opportunities in it, but it's much more difficult to assess in my mind uh, than something like uh, uh, gold or copper. So uh, I think you just have to spend your time on that. And, and obviously, I guess if you can uh, <laughs> buy in before the hype and get out at the hype, that's always a, uh, a pretty good <laughs> uh, route to take for pretty much all the juniors if, if you can get that spot, which of course is never so so easy so um yeah and maybe those are not commodities for some people to get into they should even if you want to get into the critical mineral space stick with those uh the bigger ones that are that are becoming more transparent excellent well thank you for this education and uh, we'll, we'll touch base with you in about another three months or so all right that sounds great bill thanks very much Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts it might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant 
with that. If you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.